Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're officially kicking off our fourth season the same way we launched our first, with cake, cake, and more cake. Is Stefan ready to ditch her cherished standby, the chocolate Guinness cake, in favor of this new one-layer version from Nigella? Am I ready to declare cake as the ideal breakfast food with a new carrot coffee cake recipe? Let's find out. Then grab your shopping list as Stefan and I share the newly published cookbooks earning a coveted spot on our holiday wish list. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, this week we have a special celebration here in the UK on Sunday, and that is Stir Up Sunday. Do you remember talking about this in the past? I do. I love the name of it and remind us all what it is and what you can do on Stir Up Sunday. Well, of course, there is not Thanksgiving holiday here in the UK, and Stir Up Sunday is kind of the unofficial start of the baking holiday season. This is traditionally a day you would set aside to start your holiday cakes, maybe your mincemeat like I will do. And remember that the fruitcakes that are very common and very traditionally English need an entire month to cure. You are kind of basting those with your brandy or other liqueur, and you need to get started about a month in advance, and this year, November 24th. I'm so excited about it. I know the last couple of years, ever since I've learned about Stir Up Sunday, I've tried to do a little something. One of the things I did last year, I think I'm going to do it this year, is combine it with my pantry purge. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah, before I start that holiday baking season, I want to make sure I have fresh ingredients, fresh spices. I know where everything is. I have things at hand. So yeah, it's going to be a fun Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. And I will take the tradition that I have developed since I have lived here and make my holiday mincemeat. As you guys know, if you've been with us from the start, mincemeat is one of my very favorite flavors. I love making it. I use a Delia Smith recipe, and I can post a link in the show notes, and it has everything. It's just so full of nuts and dried fruits and fresh fruits and alcohol, and it is delicious, and it will get me in really good shape for my other favorite UK holiday tradition coming down the road in December, which is the mince pie. Yeah, and mincemeat, just a reminder to everyone, it does not contain meat. (laughs) It can, though. Actually, you know, Andrea, the recipe that I use um, from Delia does contain a beef suet, and that is part of what helps to preserve it traditionally, not so necessary anymore. But yes, you can definitely find a vegetarian suet now, but it is a kind of a fat that helps to coat all of those ingredients Mm. and keep it shelf-stable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But no, like, chunks of meat or something. Yeah, Yeah, not anymore. Not for me. Chunks of nuts, chunks of spices, <laughs> chunks of alcohol. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. Another big thing this week to celebrate, I think that someone has a birthday. I do have a birthday. It's my birthday week. My third birthday celebrated here in the UK. Since we are doing One Layer Wonders this month, I have no doubt that there is no shortage of cakes in your household, and I am certain <laughs> you will find some way to celebrate with cake. 
I have been celebrating all month. That is the absolute truth. And, you know, it's really funny. The bake-along we're going to introduce this week really couldn't be more perfect for my birthday, I think. So little teaser about what's to come. Yeah, that's true. Before we jump into the bake-along for this week, let's jump back, though, and do a review of last week's bake. Well, Andrea, that is right. We are reviewing Nigella's Chocolate Guinness Cake. This was a departure from me as Loyal listeners know for years and years I have made a three-layer, very complicated, very showstopperish chocolate Guinness cake that originally came from a Bon Appetit article, I think maybe like in the late 90s. That's how long I've been making it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. As the recipient of that cake, I do (laughs) have to chime in and say it is. it makes you feel so special when you realize you've made this cake and it's so fabulously good. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to tell you that Nigella's chocolate Guinness cake may be coming a very dangerous everyday chocolate Guinness cake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy on the one hand because that is kind of why I picked this recipe. I thought, well, Mm. I know Stefan loves her amazing cake that she makes, but it's so much work. Mm. Maybe we can find an easier version. But now I guess what I'm hearing is maybe it's a bit dangerous to have this easier version. Do I need an everyday chocolate Guinness cake? Mm. Well, probably, and I think that you probably do too, listeners. This cake was not only really easy, but it was really delicious also. So Andrea, do you want to talk us through a little bit of the process of the cake? I'll talk you through the process a little bit, and I have a few notes on the ingredients that I wanted to chat about. Yeah. It starts out with Guinness. Of course, that's in the title. That is not a beer that I would typically keep in my house. Not because I don't like it, but because I find when I drink it, I get really full really quickly. It's a heavy beer. It is. It is very high calorie. Yeah. It was fun finding it in my grocery store. I was looking all around for it, and I finally saw these cute cans with a little lion on it. Mm. And as I look closer, it was the Guinness, and they are making it, at least here in the States, with a special anniversary photo on it. And so the lion, I think, will show up in some of my pictures. It was a really good-looking can of beer, I have to say, right up front. So Guinness and Preheated are both having anniversaries this month. This was a perfect (laughs) cake. (laughs) We should have thought about a tie-in. Guinness, call us. It's not too late. I should also add that the recipe calls for 250 milliliters of Guinness, which is about a cup. Yeah. You won't use the whole can. And Mm. so I'm just saying if you want to make this cake in the afternoon or a bit later in the day, (laughs) you you might find another use of the remaining can of Guinness. That's just all I'm going to (laughs) say. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah. And maybe take a closer look at my pictures for this cake (laughs) in which I may have or may have not stopped in between frosting to enjoy the rest of my Guinness. <laughs> so you pour the Guinness into a, a large, wide saucepan, and then you start to add in the butter, which is two sticks of butter, a little more than two sticks. It's 250 grams, and my stick is 113 grams, so it's a little bit over that. Yeah, right. And you heat that until the butter's melted. Then you whisk in some cocoa powder and some caster sugar. Now, I wanted to remind our listeners, when it says cocoa powder, we're talking about unsweetened cocoa powder, not hot cocoa mix. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a little bit vague, frankly, here, because she just says cocoa. She doesn't even say unsweetened chocolate powder or Mm -hmm. unsweetened or anything else. So yeah, good point. That is like your Hershey's or I used green and blacks. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And then the next ingredient is caster sugar. And I had asked you last week about that, and you said it was granulated sugar. Now, Stefan, it's not that I doubt you or your knowledge, but for some reason, I decided to look up caster sugar. And what I read said that caster sugar is more like a super fine sugar, and it's between a granulated sugar and an icing sugar, or as I would think of it, a confectioner's sugar. So I decided to make my own caster sugar. Yeah, no, that's excellent. And I don't disagree with your definition either. I just think okay. if you're going to look for a substitute in the U.S. or in North America, that granulated is going to be the closest you could get. But yeah, off the shelf rather. But yeah, if you want to make it. Yeah. They also have a golden caster sugar here, which has just kind of a nice golden nutty taste Ooh. too. Oh my gosh. Did you whiz some up in your processor? How'd you make it? I made it in my Vitamix. The instructions that I was reading said to watch very carefully because it very quickly can turn into powdered sugar. And so I'm here to say that is true. I barely had turned my blender on when I realized it was going from super fine into powdered. So that was kind of fun. I had never done that before, so I just wanted to throw that out. Okay. So you whisk that sugar in with the melted butter, the beer, and the cocoa. Then you have a mixture of the sour cream with the eggs and the vanilla, and you pour that into the, as she says, brown, buttery, beery pan. I just (laughs) love her writing. I love her writing too. And I would also just point out a caution there that you might want to let your chocolate mixture cool slightly because you don't want scrambled eggs. So many times if you are adding a hot mixture into eggs, you get these lumps, you get a scrambled egg, you don't want that. So I just let that sit for, I don't know, one or two minutes and then I whisk it in really carefully. I'm glad you added that in. I did something similar. I let the cocoa and the sugar sit and start to cool down a little bit. I beat the sour cream and the eggs and the vanilla in a separate glass measuring cup, a really large one. Yeah. And then I put a little bit of that cocoa sugar mixture, beer mixture, butter mixture into the sour cream and eggs mixture first. So that's tempering. You've heard us talk about that before. Yep. And it just makes sure that, as Stefan said, you don't get scrambled eggs. You don't want that. Once you've got that all mixed together, you finally whisk in the flour and the bicarb or baking soda, as I think of it. And then presto, you've got your cake batter. Instruction three says pour the cake batter. If you were looking at my printout, you would see I underlined it 12 times and wrote brownie with an exclamation point because I tried this cake batter and it reminded me so much of raw brownie batter. So I knew right away that I was going to love this cake. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. I had that thought for you when I was making it as well, because here is another raw batter for your raw batter compilation. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. (laughs) So I have to say that even in the raw batter, I personally did not taste the stout. I would not have eaten it and thought, oh, there's beer in here. Okay. Yeah. And for me, it was already at this point less beery than the one that I'm used to making. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned last week that I might not make this as instructed in a nine inch pan and indeed I did not. I made one small six inch cake and then I made six jumbo cupcakes. Yum. (laughs) I didn't even do the math. I just thought to myself, I feel like this is going to be about right. And indeed it was, it worked out really well. I had perfect amount to make the one six inch and the six jumbos. And I went ahead and I used my 23 centimeter springform pan. I will say that cake wise, I thought it baked up just fine. But greasing and then lining a springform is odd to me, Andrea, because you release the sides, but you can't get that paper off because the cake's still sitting on the bottom. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, a lot of times I use the bottom of the spring form to actually serve the cake. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's hard to get that off of there after you've released the sides. So I think it was fine. I didn't have any issues with, you know, the cake releasing. But then I had, as I'm serving it, I've got still that layer of paper there, which I just thought was kind of odd. Well, I took shortcuts. I know that's going to shock you. But I <laughs> I used my Pam baking spray. So just like Baker's yes. Joy or, you know, whatever, a, a cooking spray with a little bit of flour in it. Yeah. My six-inch pan is not a spring form, and I just coated it really well with that baking spray. I did not line it, and it released beautifully from that pan. So I might throw out that I'm not sure a spring form is necessary. Well, or I'm not sure you need the parchment if you have a spring form. And my spring form is a yeah. nonstick also, and mm. I think this cake was moist enough. I think it would have just done as well with just some butter or cooking spray on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In my jumbos, I use the paper liners. Okay, right. Sure, sure. On the bake time, the recipe suggests 45 minutes to an hour. In my case, my jumbos took 25 minutes. Okay. And then my six-inch cake, I pulled at 40 minutes. And I have a convection oven listeners, and so that is also known as a fan oven. And so fan 180 degrees Celsius for 45 minutes and it was springy it passed the toothpick test and it had a really nice pretty cracked top oh nice now she says to leave it to cool completely in the tin on a cooling rack as it is quite a damp yeah. cake again I just love yeah. I just love her writing I'm sorry, I don't want to read the entire recipe out loud, but she's got so many great phrases in here. I know. Now, step four is where I ran into a little bit of a problem. So it says once the cake has cooled, you put it on whatever, you know, you're going to serve it on, a platter or a cake stand. Yeah. And then it says, lightly whip the cream cheese until smooth. Sieve over the icing sugar and corn flour and then beat to combine. Yeah. So by sieve over, does she mean sift? powdered sugar and the corn flour and then mix it into the cream cheese because that's what I did. Okay, so let me stop you. Yes, to answer your first question, sieving would be sifting. So I used my little hand sifter that Mm -hmm. you guys know I love so much. And also we like to do that when making frostings just to get rid of the lumps. But the recipe in my book does not say anything about corn flour. You know, I noticed when you were going through your recipes, you didn't mention corn flour. And in my recipe, which I printed from her website, it does say two teaspoons of corn flour. And I did use that, or cornstarch, in my icing. I wonder if that's to do with this consistency issue with the cream cheese we talked about last episode. Cream cheese here in the UK is a little bit runnier. Mm. Okay, well, interesting. Yeah, that does not even appear in my book. Fascinating. Yeah, I'm looking here at my printout and it says recipesourcenigella.com. You know, I often think after people have published cookbooks or put things on the internet, they start to get feedback and there are adjustments afterwards. Yeah, very true. Maybe that's one of those things that a lot of people said I couldn't get my icing to set up. And so maybe she went back and added a little bit of cornstarch to it. Well, and last episode, I also kind of gave the warning that if you are using a UK or a non-block style cream cheese, to be really ginger when you start adding in that whipping cream. And I deviated from the recipe here for that reason. Okay. After I had beat my cream cheese and my icing sugar, and I did that by hand, I thought if I add any more cream at this point, it's just going to be completely runny, completely liquid. So I got my KitchenAid back out and I beat the cream until soft peaks. And then I folded back in the cream cheese mixture. And that worked, Mm. that worked really well. Okay. But I don't think you can just add the cream to 
the cream cheese. Unless you did with, and maybe that corn flour helped thicken it up. I did with the corn flour and I had no problems. I used okay. my KitchenAid. I used the paddle attachment. I beat the cream cheese and the icing sugar or the confectioner's sugar. Yes. And the corn flour or the cornstarch. So I got that all nice and whipped yes. together. And at that point, it was very creamy. And I do use the whipped cream cheese. So it is a bit lighter and fluffier. Yep. And then the instructions that I had said you could use either double cream or whipping cream. Mm -hmm. Now there's a new heavy cream in my market. It comes from California. It's from the Alexander Family Farm and it's a 40% heavy cream. Oh yeah. Thank you, Alexander Family Farm. <laughs> I've been going to town on that. I just slowly poured it in and I just kept the paddle attachment on, and I just did it until it was a nice, as she says, a nice spreadable consistency, and I just didn't have any problem at all. Okay, yeah, and I didn't either after I whipped that cream, so it sounds like there's kind of two ways to come at this. Mm -hmm. Her recipe instruction were a little vague there, so I think that both ways work. Yeah. Her final instruction is just to ice the top of the black cake so that it resembles the frothy top of the famous pint. <laughs> I iced both my cake and my cupcakes with no problem. I thought it was a really easy frosting to spread, and I just used a regular spatula. I didn't pipe or use a pastry bag or anything fancy. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought the cake came together really easily. The frosting came together really easily. And coming on the heels of the frosting we made last week with the butterscotch cake, I thought it was a really nice and different frosting. You know, this is a frosting that doesn't contain butter. Right. So what's your review, Stefan? What did you give it? Mm, I give it a yum, yum, yum. I mean, <laughs> way to go. I thought it was so moist. She says it's a damp cake. That's funny word but it really does fit this cake it does it's very dense it's really flavorful I'm not sure the beer came through as strongly as it does in my traditional Guinness cake but that's no discredit to this mm -hmm. to this recipe it's much easier than the one that I make for celebrations it's spongier I would say the one thing that I'm not sure about frankly as much as I liked the frosting taste I'm not sure I liked it with the chocolate cake. I noticed in the header notes for this recipe, you know, she's, she's saying she chose a cream cheese frosting exactly on purpose because she didn't want the double whammy of the chocolate. But I am so used to having this as a chocolate chocolate that that took me a little getting used to. That said, I think it was a great cream cheese. I think it looked really fun. And I mean, now I've got an everyday Guinness chocolate cake, so I couldn't be happier. <laughs> Well, my review, I usually go with stars. You know, I'll do a three-star, a four-star, a five-star. On this particular recipe, I just wrote OMG and underlined <laughs> it about 10 times. I loved this so much. Yeah. Unfortunately, my husband was out of town, so he didn't get to taste it. I'm not sure he would have loved it because he's not a huge chocolate fan, but I know he likes Guinness, so yeah. I thought it would have been fun for him to try it. Mm. Instead, my daughter and a couple of her friends tried it, and they gave a review similar to what you just said. They all liked the cake, okay. but they made comments that the frosting, they used words like tangy. Yes. My daughter asked if it had buttermilk in it, which it didn't, but I think she was picking up on that, you know, cream cheese or... Sure. They didn't love the frosting combination with the cake, whereas I loved it. I thought it was sort of perfect to have that tangy frosting offset by that, as she mentioned magnificent damp blackness of the cake. I just thought it was so good. And in fact, when I was taking some photos to send to you, 
I cut one of the cupcakes in half so I could kind of see the inside of it. And as I was taking photos, I was eating that cupcake that I cut. I thought, <laughs> Andrea, stop. Like, finish taking your photos and then you can have some cake. And I couldn't. You won't have anything in the picture. <laughs> It was so good. I just couldn't believe how good this was. I um, had to get it out of my house as quickly as possible or else, just as with brownies, you know how I am with brownies. I can't have a pan of brownies in the house. I think this is a cake I cannot have in the house. Yeah, and I like your allusion to the brownie as well because it is that kind of dense, very chocolatey, very moist texture. I think it is a really wonderful everyday chocolate cake. It does not take long to come together. Aside from the beer, you probably have most of everything you need for that in the house. The other thing I'd like to say is that because cream cheese is a little of a bugbear here, I don't make cream cheese frosting as much. And Mm -hmm. I did like how easy this one was to come together because you didn't have to wait for any butter to soften. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit lighter. I mean, you do have heavy cream in there, I guess. But, you know, often frostings I make have butter and cream. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This was a really great cake. And I'm really glad that you encouraged me to do it because I can have two favorite Guinness chocolate cakes now. (laughs) I mean, I don't see any reason to limit yourself. So I think that's just a great idea. If you can get your hands on the Feast Cookbook, which is where this recipe is reprinted from, the cake section there is really great. I think you'd enjoy just looking through there too. This really did fit the bill for me. I think you might recall the week before when we made the salted caramel buttercream cake. Yeah. I sent you a photo of my kitchen sink. (laughs) And it was full. I mean, it was just – it had so many pans and pots and – glass measuring cups and spoons and, you know, every possible implement in my kitchen. Yep. I found, by contrast, this recipe from Nigella didn't involve a huge amount of pans and pots and cooking implements, and it was just really easy to make, and it came together quite nicely. With an amazing payoff. Yeah. Let's see if our next cake is going to hit the mark as well. This is the Pinch of Yum Carrot Coffee Cake. It's in a nine-inch round, and Stefan... I can't believe it, but I don't think we've made a carrot cake on Preheated before. And carrot cake, as loyal listeners might remember, is one of my all-time favorite cakes. So I am thrilled that it is coming during my birthday week. Now, I may have a birthday cake on top of this cake. That's okay. Two two birthday (laughs) cakes in one week? No problem with that. I love a carrot cake. Super excited to put it together with a coffee cake, which is also a cake I love. I just love both of those two combined, and I don't often see a carrot cake combined with a coffee cake, so that's what really caught my eye here. I love the idea of using shredded carrots, and then I love that in this particular recipe, it's a thick, crumbly, cinnamony, streusel topping. (laughs) finished off with a melty sweet honey (laughs) butter. I mean, just all of those words to me were like, yes, I'm in. And carrot cake to me usually has a cream cheese frosting. So I was really glad to find this because I didn't want to do two recipes in a row that had cream cheese frosting. Yeah, it's nice to have not only another size too. I mean, she says you can make it in a round, but then at the end of the recipe, she also says you could easily do this in a square, a nine inch square. Yeah, eight or nine inch square or a smaller rectangular baking dish. I might do a square. I really love my square cakes and I don't get them often enough. So Mm, like the lazy daisy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'm very excited about this recipe. It does come from the website Pinch of Yum. We hope you bake along with this, listeners. 
So remember, we'll have a link to this recipe in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 151, on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook group. Andrea, you might recall that last fall, we were eagerly anticipating many of the new cookbooks hitting the shelves. How could I forget? Episode 92 had a list of some of our favorites, and for my birthday, you gifted me one of the books from my wish list, Reese Witherspoon's Whiskey in a Teacup. Oh, still perhaps one of the most charmingly named cookbooks released last year. Yeah. And I got it for my birthday, too, and I thought it was really cute. Well, there are no fewer than 40 new cookbooks I've seen coming out this fall, and I've earmarked quite a few of them from my bookshelf. But for the sake of brevity, I thought we would try and narrow down the list and each pick our top three. Okay. First up is a subject I find endlessly fascinating. Oh, let me guess. Pie? You got it. (laughs) Kathy Barrow has published When Pies Fly, handmade pastries from strudels to stromboli, empanadas to caniches, and I'm so excited. Now, wait a minute. Kathy Barrow, as in Cherry Bounce by Kathy Barrow, back in episode 103? Yeah, that's her. (laughs) It's so funny. We featured a liqueur recipe from a woman who is actually a pie master on our baking (laughs) podcast. (laughs) But When Pies Fly isn't Kathy's first pie book. Last year, she also published Pie Squared, and that was a book all about slab pies. Mm -hmm. So When Pies Fly is a nice follow-up book. She uses all of the leftover dough from those slab pies and turns them into handheld pies, tarts, caniches, and strudels. Oh, and I know how you love to transform your leftovers, and you love mini desserts, not to mention pie. I can see why this one made the top of your list. Yeah. Well, my first pick is Baking with Kim Joy, Cute and Creative Bakes to Make You Smile. Kim Joy was one of my family's favorite contestants on the Great British Bake Off last season. In addition to the adorable decorating techniques for which Kim Joy is known, I'm happy to see her book is stocked with delicious recipes, quite a few of which are vegan. I think this has the potential to be a book that leads to some fun projects with my daughter, who was a special fan of Kim Joy's whimsical style. Just hearing the title can see how much you would love that book. It sounds so you. Yeah, I love it. My second pick is one you may not have heard of, unless you spend a lot of time on YouTube. It's called Bigger Boulder Baking, A Fearless Approach to Baking Anytime, Anywhere. And it comes from Irish chef Gemma Stafford, who hosts an online cooking show called Bigger Boulder Baking. You guessed it. I love her accent, and I love the way she bakes. For example, she recommends aging her cookie dough for three, four, or even five days before you bake it. Wow, and it doesn't go bad? Nope, not as long as you keep it refrigerated. Now, she likes this method for adding flavor, but of course, I like it for the laziness factor. (laughs) I can start my cookie recipe, and then if I get distracted by something else, I have days left to finish them. Excellent point. My second pick is from the Heartland, Midwest Made by Shauna Seaver. As listeners know, I went to college in Missouri and have a special place in my heart for the Midwestern U.S. Shauna's specialties are crowd-pleasing pies, bunt cakes, bar cookies, and even some savory pasties that seem perfect for potlucks and larger gatherings. Well, I love Midwestern people, so I'm sure I would love Midwestern bakes (laughs) as well. That one does sound good. My final pick is one that I was drawn to based on the title alone. It's called Weeknight Baking Recipes to Fit Your Schedule, and it's by Michelle Lopez. Well, that title certainly has won me over. What's Michelle's story? Michelle says she's always baked as a way to de-stress, and that's a strategy she shares with many of our listeners. 
When she moved to Denver in 2011, she had to figure out high-altitude baking, so she Mm -hmm. started a baking blog called Hummingbird High. And since then, she's moved back to her hometown of Portland, Oregon, so she's no longer focused on high-altitude baking. But since she does also work full-time in the tech industry, she had to figure out a way to balance her baking and fit it into a busy schedule. Well, sign me up. I'm always looking for ways to fit baking into my regular life without too much muss or fuss. Yeah, fingers crossed. Weeknight Baking is her first book, so I'm really excited to get it, and I hope her techniques work for both of us. What's your final pick, Steph? So my last pick is from the doyen of domesticity herself, Ms. Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart's Cookie Perfection, 100-plus recipes to take your sweet treats to the next level, a baking book, which certainly takes the prize for the longest title being released this fall, (laughs) has more than 100 recipes for cookies from all over the world, with lots of intriguing variations, like my favorite thumbprint cookies, but with a carrot cake twist. Hmm. You know, it's funny, though cookies were one of my regular bakes in Seattle, since moving to London, I can count on probably two hands the times I've made a batch outside of what we've baked on the show. So I hope this book will help reignite my passion and help stock my cookie jar. Yeah, one of my favorite memories of visiting you at your house is that your cookie jar is almost always full, so. (laughs) It's true, my house in Seattle, though. Yes, yes. Yeah. No, that's what I meant. Yeah. I know it's been a little lonely in the last couple of years. <sighs> well, if anyone knows how to take things to next level, it's Martha Stewart. So I'm excited to hear about that one as well. Yeah, these are all really great picks. And listeners, we'd love to hear which 2019 cookbook releases you're most looking forward to. Drop us a note at host at preheatedpodcast.com. Post in our Facebook listeners group, or my goodness, send me a voicemail message. It's 802-276-0788. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week we're up with a review of the Carrot Coffee Cake from Pinch of Yum. Might this be the ideal way to start the day? Then we'll wrap up our 2019 cake month the same way we started our 2016 cake month with one of our all-time faves, the Bundt Cake. Finally, in a nod to the upcoming holiday season, which has many of you stretched for time, we'll share some desserts that you can whip up in five minutes or less. You're welcome. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.
Hey, how do you like our new extra line, the sprinkles on top? I love it. And you're about to get something in the mail that shows you exactly how much I love it. Can't wait. 